You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We are a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change a Recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Loblossingame and I am your host. Today, we have a Q&A. Scott? We got one today that I think lots of people maybe have asked, specifically parents. So this one's from Elle. My daughter recently got sober. She went to treatment and is telling me that I need to go to Al-Anon in order to understand and work on my own stuff. I don't understand why she wants me to go to a program when she's the one with the problem. Why is she telling me to go to Al-Anon? So this is from Elle. This is a parent who uh, their daughter is saying, I need your help and help for me looks like you going to Al-Anon. So this is a teenage daughter, right? Doesn't say. We don't know if it's teenage. The tone makes me think it is. Can we go there? Sure. Well, Elle, this is a very common question. A lot of family members cannot fathom why they should have to go and do something when the other person is using and drinking and doing whatever and is completely out of control. Furthermore, when your loved one finally does get sober, they've probably really pissed you off. They've probably done a lot of shit that has made you incredibly angry. And the last thing you want to do is go to a program for your loved ones drinking or drug problem. Feels real strange. So I just want to acknowledge that, yes, when we're drinking and using, we're assholes. That's real. And yes, I understand why it's probably insane to you that you should have to go to a meeting or a program for something you didn't do. What you'll learn is that addiction is a family disease, believe it or not. And we all do things in a family system that contribute to these behaviors. If this is your teenager and they've gotten sober and they're asking you to do something to support them, just go, just do it. This is not an easy thing to get your teenager to want to be in recovery. If it makes them happy and it helps them to stay sober or get sober, why not? Also, the information that is shared in Al-Anon and the people that are there are going through similar things that you have gone through with your loved one. So while that may not sound helpful or relevant, I hear a lot of, well, I don't want to talk about it with other people or I don't want people to know or I don't want to rehash this topic. They are there to help share their experiences that may help you support your loved one and may just help you to help them to stay clean and sober. There are some statistics out there, which we will link in the show notes, that show that people who have family support, and that includes active support, not just like, yeah, I support you. Family support stay sober more often than people who do not. So you have a higher success rate if your family is participating in your recovery. And I know that to be true for me. My family was very active in supporting my recovery. And when I asked them to do things like this, they did it. And it has helped me tremendously because they've had the knowledge, the understanding, the willingness, and the language to talk to me about my disease. And that matters. It's very difficult for us 
to have conversations with people who don't understand. And when you go to these meetings, you acquire that language. You also start to understand signs to look for through other people's shares of things that might indicate something's going wrong or something's going right or might give you the language to answer questions to outside family members. There's so many resources, camaraderie, so much great information. And ultimately, if your loved one is staying sober and is able to get that help and they asking you to go for an hour once a week to a meeting to support them, what do you have to lose? Do you find that people ever have like the hurdle folks do sometimes in recovery where like, so the first one would be they go there and they're like, oh, my kid's not as bad as this. I don't need to be here. Like, you know, they they haven't done that thing. They haven't done that other thing. I haven't, we haven't seen that yet. Or the flip side where they go and they're like, whoa, my kid, I'm not hearing stories like mine. And my kid's story is way crazier than anything that I'm hearing here. And I feel embarrassed to share. Do you, do you find that people are fall into some of those categories? Sometimes are those hurdles for people? Absolutely. It's, <laughs> you know, it's like, look, you may find someone who has the exact same story that you do, but more than then likely you'll have some variations on what it looks like. So if you were to go into an oncology unit in a hospital, right, you may find someone who had the exact, you know, they discovered the lump and this is how it happened. And here were the treatments they tried and here were the symptoms and that kind of thing. Or you may not, right? Like you may, there may be some totally different circumstances, but you're all there dealing with a similar thing, right? Something that falls under this category. And that is a lot of what it's like in the Al-Anon meetings. I think people are scared to go somewhere where they don't know what's going to happen. And maybe I can give a little clarity on that. So you walk into the meeting, uh, you go a couple minutes early, you sit down. Sometimes it's a circle, sometimes it's a table, sometimes it's rows. It's, it's you know, just kind of depends. You sit down and the people who are leading the meeting, they read some things, they introduce themselves with a qualifier often. So a qualifier would be your loved one who is struggling with addiction. So, right, like if my dad went to a meeting, I would be his qualifier or his sister would be his qualifier. That terminology qualifier, that's you'll, that's something that you'll hear. So they'll read a bunch of information about kind of how it works. And then they'll either be a speaker who will share or people will share voluntarily. You do not have to share if you do not want to. Oftentimes going and listening is a great way to learn how things work. People will be very nice to you, very loving, very welcoming. It is a really kind place, a very judgment-free place. These people have heard it all. You'll have people who are there for their first time, their second time, their third time, and then people like my mother-in-law who has been going for almost 20 years to Al-Anon, despite my husband being sober almost 20 years. She continues to go. She sponsors women. She has her group. She shares and, and has learned so much. The reason is that the program ultimately supports you. You get a lot of information about how to support your loved one, but it ultimately supports you. And what I have seen over and over again is that it supports your ability to have boundaries, to grow, to use language that allows you to talk to your loved one while respecting what they're going through, but also respecting what you're going through. The amount of havoc that the addict 
alcoholic, whatever, gambling at, whatever it is, reeks on the family, the loved ones is tremendous. And the idea that the addict or alcoholic is the only one to get help isn't is crazy because there's so much trauma inflicted on the family. And this is the place to support that and to get ideas and to learn. And it is a really great community. I, I really, I cannot say enough about how helpful it is to have this group and to be able to do this work with these people. And it's free and it's an hour of your time. This is what I say to families all the time. You've been begging your loved one to get help for weeks, months, years, whatever it is. And the way that you can support them is by showing up somewhere for an hour. You can just sit there and listen. What a small price to pay to show that you're willing to support them. And furthermore, you want them to go to meetings. You want them to have this support. And so when you tell them to go to a meeting and they're like, I don't want to, I don't know the people, I'm uncomfortable. You can say, look, I'm willing to do the same thing you are. I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. I'm willing to show up. You're asking them to do the same thing, to be uncomfortable, to be vulnerable, to show up for an hour a week or whatever it is. You should be willing to do the same and it'll benefit you in the long run. Is there any other like lingo or structure kinds of things that would be helpful for people to know going into the meeting? Because again, you know, I, as you mentioned, sometimes the hesitancy is just like, I don't know what this is. I don't know. So I had an acting class in college, actually. And the assignment was that you had to go to a church in which you were not the majority in some way. And so I went to an all African-American church. It was like a second Baptist kind of church. And at, at one point they said, all right, any new people here, please stand up. So I stood up. I was the only one. I was the only white person there. I was the only new person. I was also the only... And I was like, hello. And they're like, well, what's your name? For, you know, it's a big congregation. I was like, Scott. And everyone died laughing. And they, he goes, ah, welcome, Scott. And then I just kind of looked around and then like sat back down. I don't know if I was supposed to say something. I don't know if I was supposed to say my full name. I don't know if I was supposed to tell a story about myself, about what got me there today or anything like that. I didn't know any of the rules of the game. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, yeah, it was one where I was like, I have no idea what I did to this day. I still don't know what I did. People were very welcoming after the fact, but uh, I don't think I would have gone back there because I was just like, I don't know the rules. What are the rules right, here? Okay. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. Is there is there anything like that where like if people were walking into an Al-Anon meeting, can we save them the Scott experience is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, sure. So yeah. So if it's my first time in Al-Anon meeting, again, like I said, it can be you walk in, come a couple minutes early, find a seat, the meeting will open. Someone will read a bunch of small pieces of literature from 12 step explaining a bit of, you know, how it works, what the steps are in Al-Anon, what, you know, what you're here for. They will likely say, is anyone, is this your first time here? You don't have to say anything. You can just stand there and everybody knows and you don't have to say a word. You can say, hi, I'm Ashley. My qualifier is my daughter. This is my first meeting. I'm here to listen. Pass. So if you don't want to talk, you can say pass. You can just say, you know, your first name and that this is your first meeting and people will just say, welcome, Ashley, and then they'll move on. 
if for some reason, this doesn't really happen, but if for some reason you were called on to talk and there was sharing going on and you were called on to share and it was going around in a circle or something and you were called on to share, you could say, I'm Ashley. My qualifier is my daughter. I'm just going to listen today. Thanks. Sharing that it's your first meeting, people will approach you and ask you if you need help if you, you know, introduce themselves. One thing about meetings is there's no crosstalk. So in 12-step meetings, crosstalk looks like, so if I'm sharing and I say, so just like I'm talking right now, no one would ask me a question. No one would address me directly. So I could share, I could cry, I could tell you all this stuff. And then I would say, thanks for letting me share. And I would finish. And then someone else would have a share and they may reference a little bit. They might say like, thanks Ash for your share. I really related, but they wouldn't say, Ashley, I wanted to address something that you said in your share. There would It's not direct communication. It is like individual shares. You can also, you can download any Al-Anon podcast and listen to how an Al-Anon speaker shares beforehand. That might be a really great place to get started. There's a lot of different podcasts where they just basically have an Al-Anon meeting online. Uh, things you'll hear, likely hear about like lingo. I think you'll hear detaching with love. You'll hear... The three C's of addiction. I didn't cause it. I can't cure it. I can't control it. And then you'll hear a lot of different experiences. And if you're a parent, you're going to hear people talk about their spouses. And you may not relate to that because it's a very different situation. But there will be people in the meetings who talk about their children or different circumstances where you can relate. And what I would say the biggest thing is to listen for the similarities, not the differences. Can you reflect about anything that, let's say, a family member or somebody who cared about you who went to an Al-Anon meeting and you were their qualifier? Can you point to anything directly that they came back to you and said or that they have reflected since? I think one thing that is really helpful to understand and to hear over and over again that families get in Al-Anon meetings is how profound the shift in the person that they love is when they're using, how different that human being is, and how to reconcile the monster that comes out of this person that you love who wasn't like that before all this happened. And you're still wanting to treat them like the person that you love and the person they were before they got mixed up in this stuff and the disease took over in their brain. But they aren't that person. They aren't a kind person. They aren't an honest person. They aren't a safe person. And it's super hard, especially if they're living in your home, to suddenly have someone in your home that you would never ordinarily let into your home because they're not safe, but that wasn't who they were. And so it, even if it's gradual, it takes, it, it is very difficult for our brains to reconcile that love of that person with the behavior and the change that ultimately happens. And I know being that person, I felt possessed. I just, I remember doing things, saying things, being a person that I just didn't recognize. And I felt like I, I felt like that was, it was happening to me. It's just a very bizarre, I, it's the only way I can explain. Like I just felt like something had taken over and there was just no option for me. And family members get this opportunity to talk about what that feels like, to talk about the confusion, to listen. And I think a lot of the time people are like, well, I don't need to talk about it with somebody. I don't need to hear. I know what it was like. I know blah, blah, blah. A lot of the time when you listen to people talk about experiences you've had, they have 
highlight aspects of it that you didn't consider, you hadn't thought of, you hadn't put words to, feelings you hadn't put words to, like, oh, I guess I, oh yeah, yeah, I do relate to that. Or And a lot of that is the unraveling and the beginning of the healing process. Also, I think, you know, I keep mentioning the language. It's very helpful to have some of these canned lines, if you will, when your loved one is like, well, I don't have a problem with alcohol. I just have a problem with marijuana or vice versa. And you're like, well, wait, no, that's not. Oh, oh, but I was told, you know, and you learn literally how to respond to things like that. You learn what to say. You can pick up the phone and call one of your Al-Anon friends and say, my kid just said this. What do I say? You get guidance on some of these things that feel really complicated and sticky and like you're not qualified to talk about. The other piece that I experienced, so you know, being in a marriage where I'm married to another alcoholic and many of my friends are in recovery, I find Al-Anon to be extremely helpful in reminding me how important it is for me to continue to work on myself as an example to the people around me of what I'm willing to do and what I'm willing to put up with. There is something extremely powerful about being in a relationship where you may not like the direction the other person, other person you're living with, the alcoholic, whatever is going in. But if you focus on you hyper-focus on making yourself better, whatever that looks like. It has an impact on that other person. They notice it. It also gives you the ability to stay in your own lane and not kick up dust, which is often a thing that happens in a relationship where you can't change what the other person is doing and you're frustrated. And so you just kick up a bunch of dust. But the reality is they have to go through whatever they're about to go through. And it may really bother you. But if you focus on their problem, problem, it will get worse. And if you focus on things you need to rectify or fix or improve about yourself, it gets better. When I'm focused on the behaviors that my husband is doing that really bother me, I am not working on becoming better myself. And when I'm focused on the behaviors about myself that need to improve, I am demonstrating a standard I have about behavior. And I am also making it clear that it is his responsibility to take care of himself and to improve himself and that that is my expectation. Do people always respond perfectly that way? Absolutely not. But my experience is that over time, going to Al-Anon meetings and taking responsibility for myself and taking responsibility for my behavior and letting other people have their own path as opposed to controlling every move they make, which is my deepest desire, of course, is much more effective and makes me a better wife, a better friend, a better sibling, etc. And those are a lot of skills that are taught and learned in Al-Anon through the shared experiences that you hear about. I think that's great. Yeah, I hope this was helpful, Elle. I can empathize with the idea that you've been doing so much work and you don't want to add more work to it. But I think to Ashley's point, sort of you leading by example, you doing the pieces that you can do will one, model the kind of behavior that you want to see. And two, I think that you'll discover that there are some things that will be helpful for you in the process. And so while you may start doing it for them, my hope would be that it, it turns into something that means a lot to you as well. Ashley, if people have questions like Elle, that they want to get on the show, how do they get a question on the show? Please send your questions to podcast at lionrock.life. That is podcast at L-I-O-N-R-O-C-K dot L-I-F-E. And we will answer them. And before we close out, please remember, 
remember to rate and review. If you have four or five minutes, please hop in there and do it. It helps us so much. And it's a great way that you can support this podcast if it is useful to you. Thank you, friends. We will see you next week. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a diverse and supportive recovery community offering weekly over 70 online peer support meetings, useful recovery information, and entertaining content. Whether you're newly sober, have many years in recovery, or you're recovering from something other than drugs and alcohol, we have space for you. Visit www.lionrock.life today and enter promo code COURAGE for one month of unlimited peer support meetings free. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.